0: Hi there, you're listening to The Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. Well, I have a special treat for you this week and next. I was uh, just recently able to be on a buddy of mine's youtube channel he started a brand new youtube channel called faith because of reason and uh, his audience make no mistake is is not uh, generally friendly to young age creationism in the sense that most of them think that it is false and maybe even harmful so I was very privileged to be able to have this discussion. It was a great discussion. I love David. He's a great brother in Christ. and so I really hope you'll enjoy this discussion. And I hope and pray that this discussion you hear over the next couple of weeks models what the future of this discussion looks like for all of us. So I hope you
1: enjoy. Hello, Hello and welcome to because of Reason. Uh, we're doing a series of interviews on this channel where we're talking to informed uh, informed experts on different theological and apologetic topics, and uh, we're just going to hit them with the hardest objections to their views and see what they have to say. And just a reminder, we're not necessarily promoting the view that we're interviewing people on. This is strictly for you so that you can be connected with intelligent proponents of other views so that you can have a better round theology, that you can come to your own conclusions on these matters, and such. So today, we are talking about young earth creationism, and my guest is Steve Schramm, who I'm very honored to have on. Steve Schramm uh, writes and speaks on Christian theology and apologetics. He hosts the Steve Schram Show. He offers a free email course uh, called The Battle for the Beginning, and he's the author of the forthcoming book, Truth Be Told, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, and that's basically a guide to sharing the Christian faith and uh, Steve is there anything you'd like to add to that
0: Yeah well I mean you you, you called me a few names expert and well informed and all of that and I don't I don't know that I would say that I'm an expert on anything we're going to talk about today but I'm uh, at least going to try to do the best I can to to, to give you something to, to go home with so to speak so nope I, I think you hit the nail on the head that's that's awesome thank you I'm happy to be here with you.
1: All right, and is there any details you want to add on uh, your book or on your uh, email course? Yeah, then?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, specifically with that, um, the we do have a book coming out. I was hoping to have it out this week. Uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. Um, I, I like to think that um, you know uh, proficient enough to get a Kindle book formatted right the first time, but apparently not. So put it out there. It got published. I was going to start promoting it, but then I looked at it, and uh, it didn't look right. So So that is still forthcoming, but I am excited about that. Um, And then the email course is something that if you just go to steveshram.com slash battle, steveshram.com slash battle, and I'm sure David will be kind enough to put that in the the notes there. And um, you can go there. That is going to be probably one of the most relevant things to what we're talking about today. And my hope is that, and we'll talk about this more in a bit, but my hope is that this conversation, especially if you're somebody who is not, generally open to this view, or you don't think that the, my view that I'm going to be talking about today is correct, um, I would hope that I can start to, uh, if I'm going to use some Greg Kokel terminology, to put a stone in your shoe uh, towards the other way. and Maybe that you would at least start thinking um, a little bit more carefully about what we're going to talk about today. And I think that if you want to take the next step, that free email course I wrote is probably the best way to take the next step in um, learning a bit more um, about young age creationism and why I think it's the correct way of looking at things.
1: Gotcha. Very good. All right. So, and the topic today is young earth creationism. And So i'll assume most of my audience probably has a fairly good grasp on that but uh just to briefly introduce it uh basically there's a firestorm of controversy in christendom right now about well i see it as kind of two issues or you know maybe three so you've got the issue of how we best to interpret the biblical text of genesis so the opening chapters of the bible what do we do with that and then we've also got um you know the issue of the age of the earth how old we um think that is and does the bible give us insights on that and then the issue of evolution as well well what are we to do with you know people telling us that this is you know this is what the science the science settled on this effectively and yeah. so uh, we need to go over to that and so there's i guess like four broad camps that i guess have emerged right so we've got you know young earth creationism which is uh, the view that we're talking about today which i guess well i'll, I'll let you introduce what that is but uh sure. and the other issues that it kind of stands in contrast to is you've got older creationism from like you know like reasons to believe with hugh ross uh you've got theistic evolution kind of like spearheaded by francis collins and BioLogos, logos and, and then we've got the intelligent design movement uh, as well which just you know doesn't doesn't really care about the age of the earth and kind of focuses more on evolution. Um, But yeah, I'm going to turn it over to you here. And uh, if you could just tell us what young earth creationism is, uh, maybe, you know, I know there's a few different versions of it. So I don't know, you know, how specific you want to get with that. But, um, you know, to, to tell us what young earth creationism is, as you understand it, and just how it did from the the other major options
0: okay yeah so uh i mean again the view of uh, young age creationism is is the view that god created the earth and universe specifically in six ordinary days uh, sometime between six thousand and seven thousand years ago there's actually been some recent um i don't know that i want to say controversy but but some recent questioning Um, as to, you know, is it closer to 6,000 years? Is it closer to 7,000 years? There have been some arguments from creationists saying that we should start using the Septuagint to get some of those timelines and things. Um, Those are really fun uh, speculative Conversations to have. I don't, you know, really. I'm going to say it's somewhere between six and seven thousand years. I'm aware of at least one young age creationist who I very well respect, who thinks that not from the information at Genesis, but from information in like First and Second Kings and on and on, um, that we could even be looking at something more like twenty five thousand years. Um, I don't think he's right, but uh, he could be. He's a lot smarter than me. So um, I uh, there are many different views, but the most young age creationists are going to think that it's somewhere between six and seven thousand years. Now, I should also make a distinction here um, that you might hear that I, I say young age creationism. I do that for. A couple reasons, okay? Um, Number one is there is a serious negative connotation with the words young earth creationist. Uh, I'm sorry, there just is. Most people don't like that. Young earth, I mean, it's just, um, that's like a four-letter word in many theological circles today. And I like that when I say young age creationist, people are like, oh, I've never heard of that. What is that? And I can explain it. Um, That's more of a practical reason. The second reason is just that that's what the view is um there are people who are strictly young earth young earth creationists but who would believe that the universe either is actually you know 13.8 14.8 whatever it is now billion years old um or who think that the entire creation might literally be somewhere around 6,000 years old, but that enough time has passed because of gravitational time dilation that billions of years of time could have passed in the far reaches of the universe at the same time that six days passed on earth. So there are, there are a lot of different views. Um, you mentioned some of the other ones. Um, I wrote down a few day age view, which is kind of typically the progressive creation, you know, Hugh Ross kind of thing. Um, Intelligent design, agnostic, again, that somebody doesn't really care about the age of the earth, but just believes that this world was designed by a designer. It doesn't even speculate who the designer is in most cases. It's just this world's a product of intelligent design. There's a couple others that you didn't um, mention. You did mention evolutionary creationism or theistic evolutionism, which is pretty, pretty intuitive as to what that is. Um, functional creation agnostic, I wrote that down. You've got people who don't necessarily want to speculate on the science at all but who want to remain agnostic on the age of the earth because they like guys like John Walton etc who say that we don't um, that Genesis just isn't teaching those things and so we find out what Genesis is teaching and the science is a different question uh, so there are multiple different uh, ways of looking at it but again let me stress that on on young age creationism the entire creation is, Is young there just is no room on this view there just is no room for deep time or for any kind of conventional evolutionary theory Uh, the the very assumptions that we approach evidence with in young age creationism would preclude those things from being the case that makes sense
1: yes sir yes sir absolutely Okay, so then I'm just going to give you a few minutes here to uh, – I'm just going to give you a few minutes here to build a positive case for young earth creationism.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah, that works. So um, let me say one thing up front. I want to say first, first things first um, because y- you started out very, I think, appropriately by saying that this is an issue that is just, there's a hotbed of of contention that goes on. And um, I, uh, you know, I'm kind of trying to be a little bit of the middle ground here. I mean, I listen to a wide variety of perspectives. I, some of my favorite people to listen to from a theology and apologetics perspective do not agree with me on on this issue. So here's what I would like to do. but Before I build a positive case. I just want to say that f- for this discussion, um, I want to recommend that we just enter into an entirely different mindset about this issue than we usually do before talking about young earth creationism, young age creationism, whatever. Um, uh, my ministry with respect to this part from the very beginning has never, not it's, it's just never been about a critique of of other views, whether that just be old earth creationism, evolutionary creationism, you know, John Walton and whatever he wants, you know, it's just, it's never been about that. It has come up from time to time of necessity. Um, But the very first 60 episodes of my podcast were over a hundred. Now the first 60 were pretty much exclusively about issues related to young age creationism. And very rarely did we even talk about another one of, uh, of the views. So my, out, you know, from the outset, this ministry I wanted it to be about awareness, awareness of current creationist research, because as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, I think that's um, one of the issues, is that there's not a great enough awareness of, of the research that is out there. So I want to state up front, I'm not concerned about beating you up today if you disagree with me, um, but I do want to open your mind to the possibility that this is a true position um, and that it can offer a legitimate explanation uh, for much of the evidence in the world today. So you, you can disagree, But let's all lessen our defenses and see if um, we can hold this uh, rationally and in concert with Scripture and the scientific evidence. So my hope, David, um, just frankly, is that our discussion today is going to kind of provide an ongoing model, a good, healthy model for public discussion around this issue. So with that said, um, let me dive into just a little bit of kind of the, the positive case um, from young age creationism. Now, here another here's another thing where, I mean, this case is going to basically be from Scripture. It's going to basically be from Scripture, and I'm going to tell you why it's going to be from Scripture. I want to read something to you that was written by... Uh, Dr. Todd Wood, he is a, a very well trained in evolutionary biology, etc. He is um, one of the. Uh, I want to say he's a leading voice on young age creationism, but he's really not. Not that many people know about him, but he does talk a lot with theistic evolutionists. He um, is one of the primary researchers behind a lot of the actual data that we have for young age creationism. So he's very influential within young age creationism itself, and he's quite controversial too. Um, I want to read this little uh, quote. From his book The Quest. He says this, I have no doubt that evidence from creation can be interpreted as a multi-billion year history of the world in the gradual evolution of living things from a common ancestor. This includes evidence totally unknown in Darwin's day, like the similarity of DNA and proteins from different species, radiometric dating, and fossils of intermediate creatures. Add to that the fact that these disparate lines of evidence appear to converge on the same explanation. This convergence is called consilience, and it's a separate piece of evidence all by itself. Even if I could say that protein similarity doesn't really support evolution, or radiometric dating has some problems that wouldn't necessarily defeat evolution because of the consilience of all the other evidence is still there. I think that's a very important quote. Now, I, of course, disagree with evolution on many grounds. You and I have had some discussions about that. There are, I think, good reasons, and we'll talk about some today, that evolution is not is not true. But what Wood is saying there is that given the uh, plethora of data that are available, it's easy to see how one could come up with that kind of model of the world and use that as a framework for biology. It's, it's easy to see how that's the case. So... I think that while there is, I think lots of science that helps us out to see that young age creationism is possible. The case is from the Bible. The case is from the Bible because if the if if the Bible tells us something that is different about the history of the Earth from what you know the mainstream call it would would say, then we need to know what that is, and we need to uh, make sure that we're getting that right. And I hope everyone listening would, would agree. If it's not biblical, uh, it doesn't fit within our worldview. I hope we can all um, at least agree on that. So th- the basic case, and I'll try not to take too long here, and David, just so you know, you're welcome to stop me anywhere you want to uh, if you need further clarity on something or, you know, ask any questions that, that, that you might have about any part of this case. But um, we have a lot to talk about today, so hopefully we can we can run through this part pretty quickly. Um, okay, so, so the first thing is that the Genesis days are permitted. This is again, assuming that you know, if the view is true, uh, this is what the view maintains that the Genesis days are permitted only by context and exegesis to be a linear progression of six ordinary days. Now we have a few lines of evidence for that. Um, for instance, the applet um, absence rather of um, couplets. Um, you know, the absence of, for the most part, the absence of parallelism in the text. There's nothing here to indicate that this is Hebrew poetry. Uh, You can form a chiastic structure around it. I've seen that argument that says that maybe it's poetic, but you can form a chiastic argument around the entire flood account. You can form a chiastic um, argument around scripture as a whole. I've seen that given. Um, And so you can form uh, all of these things. There's chiasm and the text is beautiful in literary form. There's no doubt about that. But the absence of couplets and the overabundance of uh, what's called the vav consecutive, okay, in Hebrew language, this is a verb form, um, and it usually denotes, not always, but it usually denotes historical narrative. When it doesn't, it's usually pretty obvious. Um, In Genesis 1-1, all the way through Genesis 2-3, we have 55 of these vav consecutives. Again, this is the primary indicator of Hebrew historical narrative. That's an uncontroversial claim. In the 34 verses that we have there, 55 vav consecutives appear in those 34 verses. It's, I, I think it's actually the most dense use of this verb form in all of Scripture. I know it is in Genesis. So um, I think that's really interesting. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, we have other lists of Uh, sequentially arranged numbers. We have that in Numbers 2, 12 through 83, and in uh, Numbers 29, 17 through 25. These are the two passages that most directly could compare with the succession of of days qualified by the singular yom. Um, in or the numbers qualifying the singular verb or the singular word yom which is day um in both of those other narratives uh each day in question is part of a successive uninterrupted literal day sequence um the testimony of the father that's not going to be surprising to anybody in the 10 commandments um exodus 20 8 through 11 and then um when uh, when god kind of reconfirms that in deuteronomy 5 13 through 14 gives us our basis for a working week, and I think that uh, it's reasonable to say that that is based on the literal concept of a week. The majority of the days are also juxtaposed with an evening and morning conclusion, and most importantly, and related to that, the word yom, which again is the word for day, uh, has multiple meanings. In Scripture, uh, in Hebrew, it it simply has multiple meanings. Some even say multiple literal meanings. But in this passage, it seems to be explicitly defined for us with three different uses. Um, The daylight portion of a day, which we know is about 12 hours. One period of lightness and darkness, denoted by evening and morning, which is in Genesis 1-5. And... A week, which is Genesis two four, it says in the day when the the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. We think that probably is summarizing the whole week, and that's one of those uses in a day that overextends beyond that literal meaning. So, um, I I think that's one of the most important um, lines of evidence for that. Now, all of that being said. I think it's worth noting, I've actually done two podcast episodes on this, but I won't take the credit for the uh, for pointing it out. Uh, Mark Lambert from the Hey Pastor podcast is a, a buddy of mine. We talk online from time to time, and, and he pointed this out, came on the podcast and argued it, and then I did a follow-up episode uh, talking about it. I don't think we need Genesis 1 to show that the earth is young from scripture or that we can infer that the earth is young from scripture Uh, Genesis 1 is important it certainly helps if those days are literal that's very helpful for me Uh, that means that I'm closer to right for sure Um, but if it's figurative then that means you would have to get the information if any was available about the age of the earth from somewhere else and so I think that's probably the best way to go if you're interested in that you can check out um, my podcast it kind of avoids the whole contention around, uh, around Genesis 1 which is where a lot of the discussion centers. Okay, we can move through these other ones a lot quicker than than that. Thanks for your patience. Um, the second step is basically that there was no death before the fall. Uh, I think that um, correct exegesis of Genesis 3, uh, Romans 5, Romans 8, and 1 Corinthians 15, and um, uh, those passages that refer to them, I think would preclude the possibility that the fossil record reaches into millions of years' worth of time. I think that would mean that we were recording death before the fall of man in Genesis 3, and uh, I don't think the previous argument allows that, and I don't think Genesis one twenty nine and 30 allows that, which um, seemed to teach that prior to the fall, both animals and humans were vegetarian. I think if that's the case, then the carnivory we see in the fossil record just simply can't... Um, be millions of years ago. Third step, if Genesis is true, the order of creation may be just as important as the age. Um, if, If it's supposed to be literal history, if we can show that Genesis is narrative, which I think we can, then we can also show, Stephen Boyd has done this, he's a Hebraist, he's argued 15 lines of evidence that show that When the Hebrew, in Hebrew culture, when the language denotes that narrative was being recorded, um, he has 15 lines of evidence that show that they understood that to mean literal history, or I I guess I hate using the word literal because it has another one of those words with a bad connotation. So let me say it this way, Um, factually accurate history, which would make the order of things significant if we're if we're using a grammatical historical hermeneutic then the order of things matters and the order of things is completely different in young age creationism than even old earth creationism uh, would have to maintain uh step number four uh genealogies this is probably one of the prime places that we're going to get an argument for the young age of the earth or at least for the human race for sure uh, in, in the Bible, um, Genesis 5 and 11 have genealogies that are different from any other genealogy in ancient history. Um, the Bible, yes, but in ancient Near Eastern history in general. They actually convey the age of the father or the age of a father when his son was born and then how long he lived after that birth. It's the only kind of genealogy that we can get a really meaningful chronology from. In fact, sometimes these are called chrono-genealogies. And we have two of them in these opening chapters of Genesis. And Kurt Wise has pointed out in his book, Faith, Form, and Time, that these are the only two places in the rest of biblical history where we don't have a definite handle on the dates. Um, This is the two steps, the two times in recorded history when we would need to know chronological information, and we just so happen to have it. So I think that is um, pretty important. And I think there's evidence in the text, and um, this is a different discussion probably for a different day, but I think there's evidence that these uh, genealogies are closed genealogies, which means that you couldn't add any generations to them. Uh, there are two or three places where you might could add a generation or so. Uh, if you calculated five in each of those Uh, spots you would get to somewhere around 9,000 years for creation, Uh, nowhere near what we need on any kind of uh, conventional understanding of, of human life. Fifth step, the Bible records a worldwide deluge, that's a flood, which accounts for the existence of the fossil record. So most of the details of the earth geology, uh, the question is, can those be explained by a worldwide flood? I think many of them can. I think some, it's a little harder, uh, but there are always open questions. Scientists, be they creationists or conventional scientists, um, have things that are not buttoned down. We all have questions that need answers. So that's why I don't like this approach of just poking holes in everybody's argument. If we're honest, we all have holes. We all have things that we don't know the answer to yet. So we do have those. We have a couple things that are uh, uh, troublesome for flood geology, but we have a pretty robust explanation for most things, I think, in flood geology to explain the, um, uh, the rock and the sediment and the fossils and such that we see um, today. So, fossilization uh, especially seems to suggest that rapid burial is the culprit. Uh, culprit, excuse me, taphonomy is the study of fossilization. And over and over again, we see that rapid burial is the case. And uh, some have attempted to explain this away by isolated local flooding, but I think we can only have so many isolated uh, local floods before we just say, well, what can we interpret this with one big global one? And I think we can. Number six, the Bible seems to give a brief history uh, of man's early activity after the flood. Um, And the account given in the Bible, along with other details that follow from the flood account, you know, so assuming the flood account is true, we can use that and the information that we do have from the Bible about early humanity to give us actually a surprising amount of insight. Um, So cavemen, um, stone tools, neanderthals all of these uh, big bad big bad sounding evolutionary things actually uh do not pose any problem for me on a young age creationist view um so the insight that we do have i think runs contrary to the uh, evolutionary view it is consistent with the evidence and then the final step, this is a pretty simple one, an uncontroversial one. Uh, the Bible simply gives myriad details, which demonstrate the time between uh, this event and Christ, which is somewhere around 2,000 years. And then it's pretty well attested that we are around 2,000 years removed from the time of Christ, obviously. So, so that's the step. That's how, in those, in those seven steps, that's how we get the argument for really a young age for the creation in
1: general. Now, could I lob an objection to one of those points?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Sure, why not? Let's let's do it. Let's talk.
1: Yeah, I I, I won't I won't, uh, I won't unleash the full arsenal on all of those arguments, but um, on particularly the one about the no death before yeah. uh, no death before the fall, right? Now, the the usual older response to that is that this is going to be no human death before right. the fall, and they will pretty much try to do a reductio ad absurdum on you there and be like, I mean, did like Adam never step on an ant? Did like he never scratch his nose and kill some cells? Uh, apparently, oh, I think it was Hugh Ross who made this argument, but they said uh, that like there are certain functions in your stomach that literally like require the death of certain uh, bacteria or something like that. Uh, yeah. So I was, I wanted to hit you with that one because it's like fresh in my mind.
0: Yeah, I, I love, I love this. I'm like giddy. Can you tell I love this question? Uh, interestingly enough, the, uh, <laughs> the, the email course that I sent you the link for, um, the email course I sent you the link for is basically an introduction into the creationist understanding of this question. I actually did a full um, course on it that you can buy if you want to But yeah, I, I talk about this a lot So I, I like this objection There are a couple things going on here um, When it comes to the question of Basically you're talking about predation And carnivory, etc Prior prior to the fall um, First of all, let me say this If we end up with some things That are hard to deal with On young age creationism Like that I think it's okay to pause for a second <clears throat> Excuse me, and say, uh, do we have to have every question answered in order to affirm it? Well, I would say no. So I would say that there are still some things that we need to get figured out. I have some good thoughts about what you just asked there, but uh, I think let me go ahead and just say, first of all, that. Um, you might not be satisfied with the answers that we have to that question. And if you're not, then, you know, that's just the way it is. So we're still working on that. Young age creationism is in its infancy. That's a general point. Now, um, the critique that you just mentioned there. So if that was leveled by, by Hugh Ross, then I would just simply have to make the bold claim that Hugh Ross doesn't really understand what young age creationists teach about that. Um, that's kind of the bottom line. Um, The view maintained by young age creationists is that in the Bible, there are different kinds of life. Um, The Bible uses the term nethesh haim. It's a Hebrew term that uh, indicates essentially what is meant by life and the soul. Okay. Um, There are certain animals and groups that are used to that, you know, reflect that term. And some do not. Nowhere in Scripture do we find uh, like ants, like, we do find actually the mention of ants and such in scripture but these creatures are not biblically considered to be soulish animals they're not biblically considered to have a soul so we have higher animals and there's um, articles online Denoting which ones creationists think or which. I'm not going to go through all that today. But there are higher animals, apes, other primates, uh, possibly even our, our dogs and our cats at home, that would biblically be classified as having nefesh Hayam, as being life, as being soulish, in the same way that we are. Um, you know, some philosophers and such talk about the animal soul versus the rational soul. We've all, um, at least us philosophy nerds, we've heard about all this stuff before. Uh, but uh, that, kind of, that kind of animal soul, that part of us that is, is, is animated, is soulish. According to the Bible, there are only certain kinds of life that are like that. And the young age creationist argument is it is those kinds of life that did not die prior to the fall. Bacteria. You know you're gonna have different views on this, but stuff like bacteria, possibly even insects and spiders and such like that. Um, if spiders were designed with venom and such to kill other spiders, etc., uh, I have no problem with that. On young age creationism, I don't think the Bible says that we have to say that no. Like, I mean, what if Adam stepped on a plant? Like he stepped on a weed in a garden. You know, I mean, did that plant die? You know, the Bible doesn't say that. Animals are alive in the same sense that plants are alive. The Bible does not say that that plants are nefesh haim etc. So we would make room for that. We're fine with that. Uh, we're fine with um, we're fine with certain structures even uh, being used for things like that prior to the fall. Uh, we understand that some things are functional, some things are created, some things are. Uh, I think you could even say that. Some things were designed initially um, in such a way that later on uh, they would be used for harmful purposes, but in the beginning they were good. For instance, like, um, I think it's E... Is it E. coli or maybe it's one of the strains of Ebola virus? I can't remember exactly which. Uh, Only one of those is the big bad monster that we know of that kills people. There are other strains of the virus that has beneficial things going on uh, for life. So, uh, I mean, it could be that there are multiple. In other words, there are multiple ways to look at it. There are some things that... Could be explained as it being okay that they were things that died. If animal, if Adam, you know, killed an ant or whatever, that's you know that might be fine. There are some things that I think we could legitimately say are structures that were created initially for good, and that after sin, those things were corrupted. Um, so that would be the that would be the argument uh, for most creationists. And there's more to it, but that's the basic
1: point. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so let's move on to just challenges to the view in general. Uh, I'm going to break these into three parts. So we're going to have challenges from the Bible, challenges from evolutionary biology, and then challenges to a young earth uh, specifically. So uh, beginning with uh, the Bible here, um, one would be that uh, scripture doesn't date the earth, so neither should we. Now, I know you (laughs) built a case before that it does, um, so maybe you, so instead of going through that again, maybe we just want to hit uh, this particular objection, is uh-huh. that uh, uh, in no case would it be like, so you've brought up grammatical historical hermeneutics before, and in grammatical historical hermeneutics, the correct interpretation of a passage uh, is when there's a correspondence going on between the interpretation you hold and the author's original intention. Right. So in no case is is the author's original intention going to be that he's trying to teach a young earth in any of the uh, used passages? Would you dispute that claim, or would you say that doesn't matter?
0: Um, Okay, so so I think there are two things I would say. First of all, uh, uh, I'm glad that you said what you said, um, uh, uh, that you rephrased the question. Um, But, you know, a lot of people still ask it this way the bible doesn't date the earth you know doesn't give an explicit date for the earth neither should we uh i do want to briefly answer that because it's a really brief answer um how could the bible possibly explicitly date the like how could it say you know the earth you know the earth is at this point four thousand you know i mean how could it how would it best explicitly say that if that was the author's intent i guess is 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 the question um I think that it's not something that, I mean, when these writers were writing things down, evolutionary biology was not in view, right? Like they weren't trying to provide an apologetic that would say, okay, one day the age of the earth is going to be questioned, and so we need to make sure we say these tidy things to make sure that they can infer that. Um, the Bible can't specifically put a date for the earth because then it would necessarily change uh, with every time that we thought the earth was a different age, et cetera. So that's that question is just a bad question. Uh, And and the answer I give is that we would arrive at that uh, by inferring, in the same way that we arrive at a Trinitarian view of God by inferring, I mean, the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, um, but we have plenty of data in the text that allows us to come up with that interpretation, and even to call alternative interpretations heresy. to To say that you don't have a Trinitarian view of God is to say that you're not a Christian. Um, right? I mean, pretty bold claim, but the Bible doesn't say that Christ is a trinity, or that, excuse me, that God is a trinity, et cetera. So we arrive there at the same way. The Bible's not a science textbook, so we can infer, I think, a timeline from the events that go on and cross-examine with other theological conclusions, and that gets us there. And in a way, um, that is the answer to your rephrased version of the question, um, a passage can have um, n- not multiple meanings, right? Because that's not, that's not a legitimate view. I don't want to say it that way. But a, because, we again, we want to hold to that, the author's uh, original intent. But a passage can have implications that follow from the statements, even if it, it wasn't the primary intention to teach that. So, I mean, you know, when we look at the, you know, genealogies and such that we see in Scripture, for example, where we would use to to try try to form a chronology, was it the author's explicit intent to give a chronology there? To be honest with you, I don't know. Maybe, because the details that we have in those two genealogies where we would need them are the only two in Scripture that are like that. No other genealogy. all the other genealogies, Ooh, excuse me, all of the other genealogies in Scripture are focused primarily on the communication of of how we got to one individual from another individual. The, these are highly theological, in other words. But the ones that we have in Genesis seem to be giving chronological information uh, for a very specific reason. I see no other reason to have them in there in as detailed a fashion if the intent was not to form a chronology. So I think we can argue that in some cases the intent is that. But in other cases, I mean, the doctrine of the fall is a theological doctrine. And yeah, many... many creationists have done a bad job on this point. Can I just say that? Like many creationists have made this all about these little details that have to do with forming a chronology. Even if the author's intent was not to give us specific steps in a chronological thing, I think we want to say that the details follow from it. In other words, the theology um, doesn't take away from the historical veracity and the implications of the details if anything i think the theology being founded on the correct uh, understanding of the historical details is absolutely paramount so i guess my skepticism there if we don't take that approach is we could fall into this slippery slope of saying okay well what what implications that follow from this should we care about rejecting or whatever if it wasn't the author's primary intent to put that out there um does that make any sense? What what I'm trying to say there, like I just don't think that just because yeah something yeah that's, I, I, you know, I think
1: yeah. I think what you're getting at is that there there's certain assumptions that are necessary for interpreting or uh, for interpreting a text, uh, and you would say that the assumption in these texts uh, would require a younger. Would that be correct?
0: So yeah, I think that um, that might be a way of thinking about it. I think I more so want to go from the angle that like there are there are incidental details in the text like for instance, the Jewish calendar. right now it's like the year 5700 and something on the Jewish calendar. Uh, I don't think that it is that way uh, because there was some kind of hidden apologetic in the Bible or something like that for uh, you know for deep time and, and evolution and things that would come later. I think it's just one of those incidental details. I was responding to a critique of uh, the is Genesis history movie with a guy named um, um, Luke Nix. He had written a blog on it, on his blog Faithful Thinkers, and I responded to it on my blog. And everybody here wants to affirm, uh, well not everybody, but most old earth creationists for sure, as well as young earth creationists want to say that Genesis is actually communicating History, legitimate, factually accurate history. Even the old earth creationist wants to say that. They just have a different view of what that history looks like. And so I think that's where, um, with respect to that to that question, uh, that's where the hammer falls. Um, the Bible might not date the earth, but the details that surround that and understanding those details, those historical details correctly, is is you know, potentially going to lead to the conclusion of the age of the earth. I think what you would have to, to do is maintain that the Bible does not speak to the age of the earth, and you would have to simply wrestle with those passages where we can infer those things and say well I mean you can always just say I don't care about it I mean your your main thing is ID right so I mean you might legitimately not care about the age of of the earth I mean instead of being an atheist you might be an a hockeyist or an ah or a age of the earthist you know I don't know maybe that's maybe that's your position and you know I think that's fine but then if somebody is going to come around and make a claim like the young age creationist and say okay I think we can infer this insofar as you want to argue from that I think we'd have to to see that the Bible didn't mean to communicate those details. And I'm not sure that we can, uh, how well we can do that. Does that answer your question? Oh well, yeah.
1: Speaking from an intelligent design perspective. Oh yeah. 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 That was, that was good. Uh, okay. I was saying from an intelligent design perspective, it's not that we don't necessarily care about these issues personally. It's just that uh, the bigger issue to us is, you know, is there design in biology? Is there a designer and like these other sort of questions like, like, uh, Was there a global flood? How long ago did this happen? These are just like stuff that is kind of irrelevant to the main question to us. So it's not that we don't have personal positions on those, but that we try not to make a big deal about it because we feel like it it gets in the way.
0: Yeah, no, I I understand that. And it's for that um, very same reason that I don't argue the age of creation with atheists. I mean, if I'm talking to an unbeliever, uh, I want them to get to Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, when they're developing their theology, I think it would be important for them to consider this question. But, I mean, insofar as we're talking about we're talking about the difference between life and death, I mean, young earth creationism is not the difference between a person... Um, well I was going to say going to hell and going to heaven but I think you're a conditionalist so I don't know that I can even say that but um, anyway that's besides the point um, so uh, you know in that same blog post I actually made a point one of the um, big critiques and we've talked about Paul Nelson before I love Paul Nelson he is a young earth creationist unashamed to say he is a young earth creationist he is with the Discovery Institute Steve Meyer and Mike Behe and all those guys out there he's um, been friends with them for years and years and he was associated with that movie uh the is genesis history movie and he wrote a a post saying that he dissents from his role and uh there have been other people who wrote thoughts on that but the the way i responded to to luke because he brought that up in his article the way i responded is um people are criticizing is genesis history because supposedly it drew some kind of law, line in the sand. If you're not a young age creationist, you might as well not even be a Christian. Well, I watched the movie multiple times and that that claim that I could find is nowhere in the movie. But at the same time, we have to understand that when a lot of these popularizers, and I, there are a lot of them that I disagree with, trust me, but Um, When you're popularizing something, um, yeah, it's probably good to make an explicit point of it, and they probably could have made that point better. I I agree with that. But um, Is Genesis History was making a movie about the line that they drew in the sand that they consider important. Um, ID... Folks, the Discovery Institute, they don't talk about the age of the earth because they don't consider it uh, necessarily important to the main question. They draw their line at evolution, and they draw it pretty hard. They just wrote that tome, I guess it was last year or the year before, about called theistic evolution, a heavy withering critique of theistic evolution from an ID perspective, um, contributed to by old earth creationists, young earth creationists, everybody. Um of the sort theologians etc and um, um, philosophers of science and scientists the point is that they drew their line in the sand somewhere and that's what the is genesis history movie did the is genesis history movie is just not saying that you can't be a christian if you don't hold these other views but their view is that the correct understanding of history is a big deal so we need to understand and we think that the history is this, here's why we think it's this, so here's why we're making our movie about our line in the sand. So that's kind of the approach um, that they took on that. So anyway, to wrap that question up, to move on, yeah. The Bible does not give an explicit date for the age of the earth. This was going to be the quickest question I answered too, man. Holy cow. So uh, the Bible does not give an explicit date for the age of the earth, but but I think we confer, can infer an age um, if the Bible is communicating factually accurate history. I think we can infer that, and that maybe we should. All right, guys, that is going to wrap up this week's show. And again, I hope you enjoyed what you heard so far. We will finish out that discussion with David Paulman next week. He was so gracious to have me on and um, to uh, to allow me to present a case for young age creationism to, uh, to an audience of people who I really think need to... Um, learn more about it, frankly. So uh, I was very privileged and very thrilled that he did that. And um, I hope that what you heard was edifying for you and that next week's will be edifying as well. So thank you so much for um, your continued support. I do want to take just a moment at the back end of this episode and um, and, and say that for the next little while, um, I'm probably going to be a bit more sporadic with podcast posting than I uh, than I have been, and the reason for that is because I have a, a a need and also a desire to place a season of of emphasis on my side business. I've got uh, I've recently taken on some new uh, clients, and just honestly. Um, I'm strapped for time. Uh, I really am. I'm strapped for time, and I am taking some strides to make that an even bigger part of my life. And uh, I-, I can only divide my attention in so many. In so many ways. And um, there is certainly a ministry element to, to my business, so I don't feel anything wrong with that. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know that my podcast posting, etc., might be a little bit less regular than you are used to seeing from me during this season. Now, you could be listening to this years in the future, uh, and when you are, um, th- this is irrelevant. But um, for now, just know that uh, I am... Uh, trying to keep up with this, but I also need to make sure that my family is being helped and our needs are being met. My family comes first in everything. And so that is where the emphasis is right now. So I love you. Thank you so much for allowing me to come into your life again for another week to share the truth of God's word and God's creation with you. So thank you again. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.